If you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 8. As I mentioned, we're wrapping this up today. We have been in the book of Romans. We started out just doing chapters 1 through 4, took a little break over the summer, and now in the fall got picked up again with Romans chapter 5. And now uh, today we're going to end with the end of Romans chapter 8. We'll get back into uh, Romans uh, at the beginning of the new year. We'll start in chapter 9. Uh, here in January, and we'll kind of take that through uh, the spring, finishing the book of Romans, and then um, get some other stuff in store for summer and and next fall as well. So I'm looking forward to all of it. Um, but uh, Romans 8 has been uh, very, very uh, meaningful, powerful, helpful, I think, for many people. Uh, one of the things, uh, if you've been with us throughout this whole time, uh, that we have been doing is we have been having a different person each week come and recite all of Romans 8 from memory. Uh, part of the idea behind that was uh, just that, that it uh, would encourage some people in the church to see uh, that Scripture is something that can be memorized, something that we ought to uh, maybe try to do, because those who are doing it have recognized that as we do that, it causes us to be thinking about it over and over and over again through the day, especially if you're going to memorize a whole chapter Uh, you have to be kind of running it through your mind over and over and over again. And so it's been very beneficial. Now, uh, different people have uh, volunteered to do this today. Uh, Chris Jess was going to to be doing it. He was the other person working on it. He hadn't quite completed it. And then they were going to be gone today. And so this week I asked uh, another person who has been uh, working on it, because I know there's a lot of people that have been kind of working on it as we've been doing it, saying, hey, I need to try to memorize that as well. Uh, and I know as a pastor, I'm not supposed to have favorites and stuff in the church, but one of my favorite people in the whole church has been working uh, on memorizing Romans 8, so she's going to come up and recite it for us this morning. So Annika, if you could come on up, and uh, I love this girl. I love that uh, she was able to, on short notice, kind of work on this so that she could recite it and serve our church in this way. But uh, the most encouraging thing for me throughout this week as we were going to kind of just working on it together uh, um, is just hearing her heart. Um, sorry, guys. This girl loves Jesus. And, uh, and so as she's memorizing it and it's running through her head as she goes to fourth grade during the day and stuff, um, she mentioned to me a couple different times this week, this chapter is so good, it could be like a whole book all by itself. She's right, it could. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we're just kind of pointing things out, seeing lots of stuff um, as we go through Romans chapter 8 together. And, uh, and hopefully, I know for the, this is the sixth week we're in Romans chapter 8, so you've heard this again and again. Some of you have been working on memorizing it, but um, just sit and listen and be encouraged again as we hear the Word of God from Romans chapter 8. So, Annika. Oh, uh, we're number 5. All right. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who walk according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. And those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God and does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through him who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. For the whole creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the whole creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but by him who subjected it, in order that it might, in hope that it might be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as in the pains of childbirth until now. For not just the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly, who had the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is, not, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know for that, that for those who love God, all things work together to the good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Did he, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not then graciously give us all things? 
who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised and is seated at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribu tribulation or distress or famine or persecution or nakedness or danger or sword? No, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Awesome. Good word. Thank you, Annika, for sharing that with us. And I uh, encourage you uh, to continue. Somebody somebody just asked me this morning, so who's memorizing the book of Ruth, if that's what we're doing next? Uh, go ahead. Go at it. That would be great. Um, so good to hear God's word and so much good news in that one chapter. Um, like Annika said, it could be a book all by itself, but it's not a book all by itself. It's in the context of a larger letter um, that Paul wrote to Christians in Rome, uh, and I think it's going to be encouraging to us today. Uh, you might have come in here even this morning feeling like one who is in some way under attack, uh, that, that it seems like everything happening in life is just aimed at stealing away any joy and hope and peace that you might have. Maybe it's you receiving critical words from someone you respect, or you're being the content of somebody else's gossip. Maybe you've been betrayed by people that you thought loved and thought you could be trusted, thought could, thought could be trusted. Maybe you're just enduring one challenging season of life and have finally gotten through it, only to find another challenging season of life has been right on its heels. Maybe you want to be married and you're not married yet. Maybe you're married and it's not going well. Maybe you're struggling financially. Parenting is hard. The list could go on. There are so many things that seem in this life to be a threat to us, to seem to pull away our joy. But we've got good news today in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 31 to 39, the big idea you'll see in your bulletin, you can follow along, have a sermon outline and then a life group application guide on the inside of your bulletin. It's helpful for you to take notes. You'll see the big idea there of this passage is that all threats and attempts to separate us from God's love will fail because of God's love for us in Christ. So, I'm going to uh, I'm going to just pray, and I've, Annika just recited it for us, so we're not going to read that section again from Romans chapter 8, but we're looking at 31 to 39, and I'll pretty much read the whole thing as we go through it. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit's power to cause your word to stand uh, over and apart from any other words that we hear throughout the rest of the week that your word is filled with good news, and certainly Romans chapter 8 is filled with much of it. I pray that you would direct our minds and hearts toward it and toward you this morning. Help me uh, to, to preach in such a way that what I say is clear, but would your spirit be at work in my heart and in the hearts of everybody here for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 
Romans chapter 8, you'll notice that the first point, two points today that we're looking at, and you'll notice that the first point is a question. So I'm going to kind of, we, we already read that. Uh, first point is a question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? In fact, in the first five verses of this passage, there's seven questions. Maybe you didn't notice that as she was going through it, but, but if you looked at it in your Bible, in the text, in the first five verses of Romans 8, 31 through 36, or 35 even, there are seven questions that are asked. And we're just going to walk through each of those. Romans 8.31 has the first two questions. First question is this. What then shall we say to these things? Okay, Paul has just been sharing and spilling out good news after good news after good news. And it's kind of like, this is like the introduction to the conclusion. That's the way I kind of read that. I don't know if he's referring to, when he says these things, if he's referring to all of the book of Romans so far, if he's referring just to about chapter 8, maybe he's just referring to what we just looked at last week. That would be enough for him to say, what, what else? Well, like, you know, you get it kind of like, like an introduction to a conclusion, like he's getting to the end, and he's just like, well, what else could I say? Like, what? What more do you want to hear? Like, have you not yet been convinced uh, by this good news that I've shared so far? What, what then shall we say to these things? How do we respond to all of that good news? And then he's just going to go off with a list of questions. The second question is this. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Anytime we look at Scripture, we want to understand it first in its original context, right? And so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. And the people that he's writing to, Christians in Rome, it's not like it was like this power center, this powerhouse of Christianity. Not at all. Christians were very much a minority anywhere that they were in the world, and maybe even especially in far-off Rome. They were a small minority, and generally, as happens many cases with those who are in the minority, all of the rest of the people were kind of suspicious of them. They weren't sure what to think of this group that called themselves followers of Christ or Christians. They weren't sure what to think. And so they were often the target of all sorts of different things, and especially the target of this emperor whose name was Nero, who was already in power by the time that Paul wrote this letter, and who would rise in power over time in just a couple of years after the letter to the Romans was written. Nero, after seeing that there was a great fire that destroyed much of the city of Rome, looking for a scapegoat, decided that because everybody was already suspicious of these Christian people, that they might be a great scapegoat. And so he started arresting Christians en masse, blaming them for these fires that they didn't start, and then even torturing and killing them in some ways too gruesome for me to mention from up here. And so that is the kind of people that were against Christians that Paul is writing to here in Romans chapter 8. So interesting, isn't it, that Paul writes, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And I can imagine them sitting there thinking, well, I can tell you all sorts of people that are against me, Paul. But Paul is trying to highlight the hope that they have that no matter who is against them, if God is for them, then who can be against them? And so you might even feel in our day, you feel maybe concern or anxiety or fear 
over something or another, feeling like everything's kind of stacked against us as Christians, feeling some loss of religious liberty or um, seeing the advancement of secular humanism or whatever it is that you might be a bit anxious about, I think it's good news for us too. If we ask the question, is there any opposition that can stand up against God? And the obvious answer is, well, no. If God is for us, who can be against us? Question three. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You may be somebody who's worried about not having everything you need. Maybe you're worried about the economy generally, or maybe you're just worried about your own economy, your personal finances, wondering how it's all going to work out. And Paul would say, listen, the God who did not even spare his own son, do you think he would fail to give you everything that you need? How will he not with him also graciously give us all things? Question number four. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. I'm sure in Paul's day, Christians were being accused of many more things than just the fires that they would be accused of a few years later. Right? And Paul's saying, somebody's going to bring a charge against you. Who will bring any charges against you? Well, again, they could probably list off, well, these people could, these people are, these people are doing it. And Paul reminds them, this is a question that he actually answers. He says, listen, it's God who justifies. So are you really concerned that somebody's going to bring a charge against you in some way? The judge of all judges has already declared you righteous through your faith in Christ. Right? That, that's the message that he has here. The judge of all judges has already declared you righteous. That's what justified means, right? Justified means declaring righteous. That the judge of all judges has already declared you righteous. So you're worried about somebody else bringing a charge against you? Question number five, and again an answer. Who is it to condemn? And now he's got like a long answer to this one. He's, are you feeling condemnation? Is somebody making you feel like there's some sort of condemnation weighing on you? And he reminds them, maybe of what he said in Romans 8.1, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he gets more specific here. Here's why you're not condemned. Christ Jesus is the one who died. You're not condemned because he stood condemned in your place. Right? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He took on all the condemnation of your sin on himself. But more than that, he was raised, who indeed is seated at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for you. The good news just keeps going. The perfect Lamb of God, who took your condemnation on himself, died in your place, is now seated, raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God, and is, and is indeed interceding for you. Earlier we sang the song, the first song we sang today, remember those words? Who has felt the nails upon his hands, bearing all the guilt of sinful man? God eternal, humbled to the grave, Jesus Savior, risen, now to reign. Behold our God, seated on the throne. Come let us adore Him. Right? That's what we sang earlier today. 
Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And again, from Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Questions 6 and 7 show up in these last couple of verses. Question 6 is this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I think this is kind of the central question that he's kind of leading. All these other questions lead up to this question here where he says, okay, let's just, let's just get right down to it. Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? And then he lists off in question form some things that they might say. Well, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's felt this before in his life. And I think he recognizes that the people he's writing to have felt this before. That, that it feels, he quotes the psalmist here by saying, doesn't it feel sometimes like you're being killed all day long? Like you're just some sheep ready to be slaughtered? Paul doesn't discount the suffering that they're experiencing. He's saying, yes, that's what it feels like sometimes. It feels like everything's against you. It feels like you're ready to be killed, like you're ready to be slaughtered. That's how bad it can feel sometimes. And so the things that he talks about here, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, all of those things are real. They're not just words on a page that Paul writes to them. These are realities that they're experiencing. And it's not only in their day, it's in our day as well. We see these things all around us, don't we? We hear words like danger or sword and we think of the constant threat of violence. Whether it be from ISIS or Boko Haram or domestic abuse or human trafficking or whatever, there's all sorts of ways in which danger and sword are threats to real people living in the real world today. So many are living on the edge of famine and starvation, right? About a million children die each year from hunger-related causes. Persecution, he mentions in that list. We heard from some a brother in Christ that came to visit our church a few weeks ago just talking about how in one place in the world, the place that he lives, they're unable to even get uh, jobs all the time because if you're a Christian, that kind of disqualifies you from getting a job. He's one who had his house burned down because of his faith in Christ, right? So we know that persecution still exists. We know that tribulation and distress are a normal part of many people's lives. Maybe you're even fitting, sitting here today and feeling like tribulation or distress. Yeah, that sounds like my life in many ways. I don't know what it is that you might be dealing with, but people all over the place are dealing with tribulation and distress. Extreme poverty, chronic pain, severe mental illness, cancer, you name it. But the question underneath all of this stuff that Paul's asking is, can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? Is it possible that maybe one of these things might be strong enough that it would separate us, pull us away from the love of Christ? And the answer comes in verses 38 and 39 and verse 37 too, I guess. No, Paul says. No, 
in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. These things that seem to threaten to conquer us, Paul says, no, we are more than conquerors. He doesn't even just say that we're conquerors. He says we're more than conquerors. It's not like we're going to win in a nail-biter in overtime. It's going to be a blowout victory in the end. Right? That we are more than conquerors. All of these forces that would threaten to separate us from the love of Christ, Paul says they don't stand a chance. Now, how do we do it? It says, notice the last part of the phrase. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Right? So we aren't more than conquerors because we look in the mirror and we tell ourselves, you are more than a conqueror today. Go out and get them. Like, it's not the power of positive thinking that makes us more than conquerors. Right? That's not what makes us more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. How? Through Him who loved us. Through Him who loved us. Our hope not to be conquered by all of the things that are weighing on us, our hope is not in our own ability to fight, not in our own strength, but our hope is in the One who loved us. Loved us before we were even born. Like we talked about last week, those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Our hope is in that one, not in myself. Right? And so, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And then, Paul is going to, remember, this whole section of Romans, Romans chapters 5 through 8, it seems like the idea that Paul is trying to get across is that there is hope, and our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what your present circumstances are, there is hope, and that hope is in Christ. And we've talked also much about how it seems like he's trying to instill in God's people a great level of confidence. Here they are, this persecuted minority with all sorts of present struggles. But as you read Romans 8, you can't help but be filled with great confidence. Not that things are going to get better next week, but that God has an eternal plan for our good. Right? And so, he ends this chapter with verses 38 and 39 saying some extremely powerful things. And I love the way he starts it. Again, looking at the confidence that he has here, he starts out by saying, For I am sure. Paul's not just kind of like hoping that this happens, like, well, I hope this turns out all right. No, he's got extreme confidence to the point that he would say, For I am sure. And then he starts listing stuff. Uh, and, And in the end, his final thing that he lists is, Nothing else in all creation, as Annika and I were talking about this this week, she was just saying, like, it's like he could just keep going on and on forever, and he's just like, wait, I might run out of ink, so I'm just going to say nothing else in all creation. That's kind of how it looks as you look through this, right? That, that he starts to list, well, here's some things that might seek to threaten you or, or separate you from God's love in Christ. And so he starts going through the list. He says, I am sure that neither death nor life 
can death separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? No. Then he says, nor angels, nor rulers. Feel the weight of spiritual warfare? He's saying, listen, I am sure that neither angels nor rulers, later he says, powers, and that can't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What about things going on in my life now? What about things in the future that I don't know about yet? Is that reason for me to fear? No, that also can't separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. None of it will be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is an extremely hopeful chapter. And so I don't know if you came in today with lots of hope or not. I don't know if you came into this series with lots of hope. But what I hope that we're able to walk out of it with, having gone through now Romans chapters 5 through 8 over the last months, that we would, if nothing else, during this week of Thanksgiving, that we would have many, many things to walk away thankful for. And so I just was going through Romans chapters 5 through 8 really quick. And I thought, man, in, in every chapter, there's something that pops out at me as like, here's a reason to be hopeless. And then there's also this very, very good news. But here's why we have hope. And so if you're in Romans chapter 5, remember we heard this news in Romans chapter 5 that might make us hopeless. News like, you are an unrighteous enemy of God. Oh, that's not good news. That doesn't give me a lot of hope. That, that you are one who has inherited sin and death from Adam. But there's so much hope in Romans chapter 5. We are justified, saved from God's wrath, reconciled to God, and given life in Christ. And it's all by faith. And so you want something to be thankful to God for this Thanksgiving? Look at Romans chapter 5. Or maybe you want to turn to Romans chapter 6, where the bad news was that we were slaves to sin. But the good news is that in Christ we are set free from slavery to sin. Thanks be to God. Romans chapter 7. Remember that struggle Paul's having in Romans chapter 7. That God's law is good, but he can't keep it. And he's going to spend the rest of his life battling sin. That could make you feel kind of hopeless. Unless you also know the way that Paul ends Romans chapter 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The one who sets us free from the burden of the law. And then chapter 8, there's a little reason for hopelessness, the sufferings of this present time, all the things that he listed in the passage that we looked at today. But there is so much reason for hope and so many things to give God thanks for here in Romans chapter 8. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's Spirit dwells in us who believe. We are children of God and heirs. We're promised a future glory. We have the Spirit who intercedes for us. We have a God who has an eternal purpose for our good. And then, as we saw today, nothing can separate us from His love. And so hopefully, as we get through now to the end of Romans chapter 8, on days or weeks or seasons of life when you are feeling hopeless, that you would know that, that you're maybe not going to just turn to your circumstances changing, and that being what you put your hope in, but that you would turn to the Word of God. You maybe open up 
through Romans chapter 8, maybe keep memorizing it, getting it running through your head, that when you come up to seasons which feel hopeless, when you come to a time of your life where you're feeling in despair, that you would be reminded of the good news that we read in Romans chapter 8, which is so filled with good news after good news after good news. That's my hope for us as a church, that as we've gone through this, that we can come away with a great deal of hope and confidence, not in ourselves, but in the one who saves us. So, I'm going to pray. And uh, one thing that that makes me want to do uh, is sing. Uh, I start hearing all this good news, and that's what we often do, is we're, we're excited about something, so we just, we just want to sing. And so, uh, let's do that together. Uh, but I'm going to pray first, and then we'll sing. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you um, for your spirit who dwells in us, and I thank you that your spirit inspired every single word of Romans chapter 8, and that we've been able to go on this journey through this incredible section of this incredible letter, reminding us of the confidence and hope that we have, that no matter how things are going today or tomorrow, or how things are going, uh, how things are looking for our near-term future, that we can always trust that we have a God who is stronger uh, than anything else, as we just sang before. And that we can say, if you, God, are for us, then who can be against us? I pray that you would cause us to walk away from here with great confidence, again, not in ourselves, but in you and who you are and what you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.